Hello ladies and welcome to the Amazing Bible Dot Book Club. I am Julie Caligo, your host, and thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedules to tune in with me today. If by chance you want to contact me, you can do that at theab.bc.pc at gmail.com. So ladies, today we are starting the book of First Chronicles. First and Second Chronicles are one book in the Hebrew Bible, and they are written by the same person. We do not know who, and it does not say, but due to the emphasis of the Levites and the priests and the temple, some think it may have been Ezra, but we don't know for sure. When we studied First and Second Kings, many times the writer said, The rest of the acts of this king and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. At first, I thought it was First and Second Chronicles, but now I realize that as other translations say, they call it the Book of Annals. Those are different books, and it seems like they were lost books, because Chronicles is written after the exile of both the northern tribes of Israel to Assyria and the southern tribes of Judah to Babylon. It was written around 400 B.C., We call this a post-exilic book. That means after, post, exile, exilic. So this book was written to give hope to those coming back and making a nation again. The Hebrew name for Chronicles means daily matters or the affairs of the day. It's also called supplemental or the word Chronicles is where we get chronology, the timeline of events. As one commentator said, none of these titles used for this book describe its nature fully. All capture part of its purpose. First Chronicles interprets history as well as records it. This writer emphasizes David and his kingly line and God's covenant with him. He also emphasizes the Levites, the priests, and the temple for worship, as well as how do we worship. It is a theological history. As my Old Testament professor, Dr. Betts, said, the author writes as a theology of hope, looking forward to future restoration in the midst of present distress. We will see that the writer reminds the Jewish people of where they came from, and it may seem as if he is just rehashing what we read in First and Second Samuel and First and Second Kings, but as Dr. Al Mohler wrote in his study Bible, in fact, First and Second Chronicles are no more a rehash of Samuel and Kings than Luke's gospel is a rehash of the gospels of Matthew and Mark. So as we read First Chronicles this week, focus on what does the writer emphasize and what is his purpose in writing. Now before we jump in, let's sing our Books of the Bible song in order to help us remember the order of Old Testament books. In the Christian Bible, Chronicles are in the books of history. So it goes like this. Mm, let us sing 
the books of history, of history, of history. Let us sing the books of history, which tell of the Jews. First Joshua, second Judges, then the story of Ruth, then first and second Samuel, and first and second Kings, then first and second Chronicles, which give us the record, then Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther the Queen. Today we are going to cover the first nine chapters because they are about the genealogy that starts back in Genesis with Adam. If you have time, it is interesting to compare other genealogies in the Bible, especially with Matthew chapter 1, which that genealogy leads all the way to Jesus Christ. Now don't worry, I have no plans of reading all of these names, but I want to point out a few things. For instance, this genealogy begins with Adam. All humanity comes from Adam and Eve, and therefore as they have sinned, so has all humanity. After Noah, in chapter 1 verse 4, we see Shem, Ham, and Japheth. These three each get a section, and if you remember, this was after the flood, and it was humanity's take number two. And through these three sons of Noah, we see people groups that play a part in the history of Israel, such as the Philistines, the Canaanites, and others. It was through Shem, where we get the word Semitic, that Abraham was born. In chapter 1, verse 27, the writer points out that Abram's name was changed to Abraham. This stresses the covenant and God's name change with Abraham that through him all nations would be blessed. Abraham had Isaac and Ishmael, Ishmael the oldest. We see a section of Ishmael's line and through his line we see people groups such as the Midians. But the promise of Abraham comes through Isaac's line. Isaac had two sons. Esau was the oldest and then Jacob, but the writer does not call him Jacob, instead he calls him Israel. That's the name that God gave him and the name that shows us the nation of Israel and the covenant that God made with him and through God's people. Through Esau, we see the people and the kings that rose out of Esau's line like Edom but the covenant and the promise was passed down through the second son, Israel. In chapter 2, the writer lists the 12 sons of Israel. The first six listed are from the wife, Leah. Then the other sons are from Rachel and Leah and Rachel's servants, Bilhah and Zilpah. The writer then focuses on Judah's family because again, this is the line of King David. He does include Tamar in this lineage, as does Matthew chapter 1. Again, keep in mind, many times women were insignificant to the storyline. So if they are included, it's important. Also keep in mind, especially with lists, that if the writer steps out of the flow to give us some information, that means it's important to him and he's making a point. Sometimes we can see what that point is and other times it's not so clear. For instance, in chapter 2 verse 7, it says that Achar, the troubler of Israel, who transgressed in the thing accursed, this is a story way back in Joshua, and he took spoils of war which were to be dedicated to the Lord alone. Here the writer is pointing out 
unfaithfulness, which is a big deal to the writer in this book. In chapter 3, we then find David's sons. In the book of Samuel, many times the writer would reference the wife of Uriah the Hittite when in reference to Solomon. But here, there is no mention of David's transgressions. We only see the good in King David. With Solomon's line, 2 Kings ends with King Jehoiakim, who was taken captive in Babylon. Well, he found favor in captivity at the end of the book of 2 Kings, which left the reader with hope that maybe everything will turn out all right. Well, in the lineage, it continues from there. And if you notice, we see Jehoiakim, and then we don't really see Jehoiakim, but we see Jeconiah. Well, Jeconiah is a variant of Jehoiakim. As one commentator wrote, In some cases, the spellings of names are different, and there are variations in content. They do not seriously affect the understanding of Israel's history or the spiritual content of Scripture. So the list keeps going on after the end of 2 Kings. That is what gives us a clue of when this writing has taken place. The writer then includes the lines of Judah's sons. As I have said before, with the tribe of Levi not receiving land but only cities, sometimes they are left out of the list. Also, since Joseph's two sons each got land, Ephraim and Manasseh, sometimes they both are included and Joseph is excluded. Many times at least 12 names are given, but they're never given in the same order and not all 12 names are given. In this instance, here the writer only gives 11 names. He includes Levi because the temple worship is extremely important to this writer. So the two tribes he does not mention in this section are Dan and Zebulun. And some of the tribes he actually mentions twice. The writer goes back to Judah. In chapter 4 verse 9 we read about Jabez. There was even a little book written about Jabez about how to pray for prosperity. But this little section is not just mentioning prosperity, but faithfulness. Jabez was honorable. His name at first meant sorrowful, but Jabez called on the God of Israel. Yes, he asked for God's blessing, but he also prayed that God would keep him from evil. Because he wanted to be faithful and because he was faithful, God blessed him. This is a concept we have seen throughout the Old Testament and it's called the retribution principle. God will bless those who obey and God will curse those who disobey. So far the writer has pointed out one man who has disobeyed and now here a man that obeys. Both sides of this principle are pointed out. Sometimes the writer also mentions names of cities, like Bethlehem, also called Ephrata. Keep in mind that this was where Jesus was born. The next list is Simeon. And if you remember, this was the tribe that was not mentioned in the list in Deuteronomy chapter 33. 
Then Reuben, the firstborn is mentioned, but verse 1 of chapter 5 states that because of Reuben's unfaithfulness, he lost his birthright of firstborn son, and it was given to the sons of Joseph. With Gad, his sons are not listed, but the chiefs of the tribe. And it says they were located in the land of Bashan, which is the east side of the Jordan River. Then the writer mentions the rest of the eastern tribes, also known as the Transjordan tribes. And that was Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe of Manasseh. They took the land that was occupied with the descendants of Ishmael. In this section, it points out that they won in battle when they cried out to the Lord. Verse 20 of chapter 5 says, When they cried out, when they entreated him, and because they put their trust in him. We then see Levi's family record. This was the line of Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Then from Aaron, we get the line of priests. In verse 10 of chapter 6, we see that the line follows until the time of Solomon and the temple. Then verse 15 shows when they were taken into captivity by Babylon. It's interesting that the writer included Samuel because he was not a Levite, but he was from Ephraim. But it may be once again that he is showing that God is faithful to those who are faithful to him. Then starting in verse 31, we see temple musicians. Dr. Westerholm said in worship class that the first time we see music in a worship service is with David and Solomon in the temple. And he said it may be because up to this time, the Levites were to carry and to set up and to tear down the tabernacle. But once the temple had been built, they no longer needed to do that. So they then may have been able to set up official music in a worship service style. Verse 31 says, And these are whom David set over the service of song in the house of the Lord after the ark had rest. Three men especially are listed. Heman, verse 33, his brother. Asaph, verse 39. And Ethan, verse 44. All three of these are said to be descendants of Levi, found in verse 38, 43, and 47. We see some of their songs are listed in the Psalms in the section 73 through 89. The chapter then continues with Aaron's family record and the cities in which they live. The writer does note that Aaron's line, the priests, were the ones who were to bring sacrifices, and not just any old Levite could be allowed. One thing that this book shows is that God is approachable. We just need to do it in the way that he describes. Issachar's lineage is next, chapter 7. Then Benjamin and Naphtali are both pretty short. In Manasseh's family line, the chronicler, reminds us of the man that only had daughters and how Moses allowed them to inherit the land, but the land had to stay in the family. This was found in Numbers 27 verses 1 through 11. In this section, five women are mentioned. The writer then goes through Ephraim's line and he mentions major cities such as Bethel and Shechem, which were places of worship. He also mentions Bethshem, Tanakh, and Megiddo, which were major fortress cities. Asher is then mentioned, and then great detail is given to the tribe of Benjamin. 
The writer spends more time here because Benjamin was the only tribe loyal to King David and thus became a part of the southern kingdom. But also Benjamin is the tribe of the first king of Israel, King Saul. We finally come to chapter 9 verse 1 which states, So all Israel... The writer is reminding his readers that it is not a divided kingdom. It is Israel altogether. Israel, the people of God. And then the second half of the verse says, The kings of Israel and Judah who were carried away to Babylon for their transgression. The writer is also saying that they deserved what they got. Again, the retribution principle. The chapter then leads to the people who came back to Jerusalem. This was when Babylon was taken over by the Persians and the Medes and the new leadership allowed the Jews to come back to their homeland. He only mentions the heads of the father's houses, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, and the descendants of King Saul. There is no mention of anyone from the ten lost tribes of the northern kingdom coming back. Again, this writer is focusing on David's line. That's why Dr. Betts said that the key word for First Chronicles is David's covenant. So the writer in this lineage is showing us the retribution principle. As Dr. Betts said, God will not wink at sin. He blesses obedience and punishes disobedience. We also see that God is a covenant-keeping God. God made a covenant to Adam and then to Noah, to Abraham, and to King David that God will bless all the nations through them. The writer also wrote to encourage his people that as they rebuild Jerusalem, God will keep his promises. But he did not know that the ultimate promise would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is the faithful high priest from the line of Melchizedek, not of Aaron, like the writer of Hebrews in chapter 7 and 8 says. And God's plan all along was to make a new covenant through the blood of Christ. And through Jesus alone do we have access to God the Father. The writer of Hebrews chapter 11 verses 39 and 40 states, After a long listing of Old Testament names of people of faith, he says, And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they would not be made perfect without us. Ladies, if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then this family line is your family line. You are then a part of the story of the Bible. And the story continues until Jesus Christ comes again. And then we will all be made perfect. So are you ready? Ladies, if you hear the voice of the Lord today, do not harden your hearts. Instead, let's be women who obey. Until next time, and thanks so much for listening. Bye.